want to share with you from Psalm 91 today. First, I want to talk to you a bit about the, the subject of protection. The subject of protection. The, the Golden Gate Bridge, located at the entrance to the San Francisco Bay, is one of the largest and most spectacular suspension bridges in the entire world. It spans 8,981 feet through midair. But when this world-famous bridge was being constructed, several workers lost their lives, falling from these high positions 200 feet above the water. Consequently, the work was constantly behind schedule. That is, until someone hit upon the idea of building a safety net directly under the construction area. Then, with such security in place, any worker who fell would not tumble to his death, but be caught by the net. So amazingly, a giant safety net was made of stout, sturdy cord and placed under the construction work. The first time in history, this was the first time in history, in the history of major construction, that such a net was used. It was not an easy answer because the cost for the net was $100,000, a staggering figure in those post-depression years. But the effect of placing this security net under the construction area was both immediate and noticeable. The work suddenly proceeded at a much faster rate because the workers knew that if they did slip, that the net would catch them and their lives would be spared. This same effect that the psalmist experienced, felt, this safety, this security of God's provision and His protection is what I believe the psalmist in Psalm 91 was communicating about God. Now, we don't know the psalmist's name, but we know how he viewed God's security, God's protection. And so I want us to look at Psalm 91 as we begin a series of messages that will examine the promise of His protection. The promise of His protection. The series of messages will bear the same title as the title to this message, but I want us to read together the entire chapter of Psalm 91. Now, through this series, we're going to work our way through the entire chapter. I want us to read the entire chapter today because I want us to have the context by which we will be examining more closely the first two verses. So look there with me at Psalm 91. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net. 
from the destructive plague. He will cover, cover you with His feathers. You will take refuge under His wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand on your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Verse 14. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Now, there is really only speculation concerning the the author of this psalm. Some have suggested that the inspired writer might have been a leader in Israel's army that was preparing, if you will. He was inspired to pen this psalm as the preparations were made to go into battle. Now that, that's only speculation, but I believe that we can learn a good bit about the author and about the nature of God by examining the words of this psalm. It's a psalm of protection. Now, now we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 where we read these words. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. As we look at these first two verses, and as we examine this message entitled, The Promise of His Protection, I believe that there are evident in these two verses three keys. Three keys to understanding God's promise of protection. Before we look at those keys, I think I... I don't know, as I've, I've studied this passage of Scripture, in order to be able to expound upon it and to help us to understand what it says to us, I feel the need to express some obvious frustration, some obvious, maybe even confusion, when addressing the subject of God's protection. This passage isn't the only biblical source that informs us on the subject of God's protection. So there will be some arguments, if you will, some questions concerning God's protection. 
that, that Psalm 91 does not address and, and we may not even answer. But in thinking about God's protection, in thinking about the protection of God upon His children, the subject of evil and suffering arises. The subject of evil and suffering in this world arises. But again, Psalm 91 is not intended to address that particular subject. We will ask and seek counsel counsel concerning questions such as why does evil exist or why does bad things happen to people who seem not to deserve it. But for the most part I want to allow the text Psalm 91 to encourage us and to challenge us on the subject of God's protection. This is, in a sense, this is my way of, of, of laying out to you the reality that there are questions that we have. There are questions about evil, about suffering, about sin and its effect on us in this world that we may very well not find the exact answer to. Safety and security are always on our minds. That's why we carry around keys, right? Oh, you know, keychain making is a huge industry in our country. Do you know why? Because you lock things up. Let me ask you a very simple question. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hands, this isn't a rhetorical question, how many of you locked your vehicle in the church parking lot before you came into the church? Raise your hand. Put them up high. Come on now, come on. Y'all locked your vehicles while they were at church? What, what do y'all not trust the preacher or something? I mean, do the deacons here have a reputation for... For going in your vehicles and stealing stuff? You locked your doors at church. I locked mine too. <laughs> but unfortunately, my keys are in my doorknob, that, that, the lock that goes to my office. We have to lock the church. About a year ago, we had to go around and re-key every lock in this church because I would come up here and doors would be unlocked. The sheriff's department would come by in the middle of the night and make a check and there would be doors unlocked. Security. Security. Safety. It's a huge part of the human psyche. Now, some are concerned with it more than others. I tend to be a little on the less concerned side. You know, uh, an obvious point is that you could walk by my office right now and see that my keys are in my door. But... Fatherhood has brought this issue. Being a father has brought this issue to the forefront of my mind because children are constantly asking hypothetical questions that are driven by fear. Children have great fears. I can remember being a child and having great fears about certain things. 
And so I've been asked these questions, these hypothetical questions. They're driven by fear. Fear because of a bad dream. Fear because of a past traumatic experience. And the answer, the answer that I always pull out is this. God will protect us. Don't worry. And, and, and here's my first statement. My first statement is, Daddy's here. He's going to protect you. But what if, Daddy? Well, God is with us. He will protect us. And my son would then rebuff my statement that God will protect us with this. Why didn't God protect so-and-so? And why didn't God protect so-and-so? And why did so-and-so die? And why is so-and-so in the hospital? Did God not protect them? Whew. I'm a preacher. I got many years of theological education under my belt. How do you answer those questions? How do you answer the questions, those common questions about life? Well, before we examine these verses, I think it's important to recognize that life in a fallen world is not always cut and dry. Life in a fallen world has questions that we will always wonder about in this life. But because we don't know all the answers doesn't mean that we can't know any of the answers. And so I want us to examine three keys. Three keys to understanding the promise of His protection. The first key is this. The quality and character of our protector. The quality and character of our protector. When I decided to go back to school and try to earn my doctorate of ministry, I knew that it would mean that I would be away from home during the nights at several different times during the years that I was enrolled at school. Typically, I am away from home at school uh, two nights a week for three different periods of time during the, the year. So it's only six nights in an entire year that, I, that I'm away at school that, that my family's at home. But, but still, that idea, that idea created in me a, a, a question, a question of do I need to uh, provide for my family a security system? Now, we decided to do some research, and, and we had had a, a security system in a previous home that we owned, so we knew some about security systems, but I, I soon found out that the options were endless. I mean, they were endless. With, with each added feature of security, the price went higher and higher, but, but it was amazing to see the differences. The differences in the companies, the differences in the, the plans that were offered. You, you can imagine my... Uh, and, and can relate to my endeavor in researching uh, security systems if you've ever seen the commercial. The commercial with the middle-aged man sitting on the porch of this vacation home when his young adult children arrived late because they had to go back to the house and get something. You know the one I'm talking about? He, he asks if they secured the house when they left. And, and they said, sure they did. And he says, 
Yeah, sure you did. And he pulls out his, his, his uh, smartphone and he presses this button and then the picture goes directly to the house that they said they secured. And, and I, I don't think I'm overstating this, but the water was on. Uh, there seemed to be maybe some music on. Lights were on and the doors were unlocked. And from his smartphone at the vacation home... He secured, turned the water off, turned the lights off, turned the music off, and locked the door. Whew. I'm like, really? But, but if you look into security systems, you'll see. You'll see that you can, you can get something like that, or you can get something that would only go off if, if the door were broken into. There's, there's so much out there. And so what I think we need to understand about the quality and the character of our security, of our protector, is this, that God is sovereign, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-sufficient. Folks, when it comes to God as our protector, we have the top of the line. There's no one or nothing in this life, that can provide us with the type of protection and security that God promises to us. In these first two verses of Psalm 91, the author points to, the, to this fact by referring to God using three different names. Three different names. The first part of verse 1, the psalmist refers to God as the Most High. Look at the passage. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High. I want you to know something. In Hebrew, the language in which the Old Testament was originally penned, in Hebrew, names have meaning. Names mean something. You don't name some, a child something just because the name sounds good. You don't name a child something just because that's what their father or mother or grandmother or grandfather's name was. Names have meaning. And this name that the psalmist used to, to call out to God, to reference God, has meaning. It's transliterated as El Elyon. In the Hebrew, this name of God refers to God's supreme strength. God's supreme strength. And it points to His sovereignty over the entire creation. It's, it's, it's about God's strength. It's about God's sovereignty. And you see, the God who promises His protection isn't giving up, excuse me, isn't giving us an empty promise, but it is a promise that is within His power, that is under His control. He is the Most High. The second part of verse 1, the psalmist refers to God as the Almighty. Now, you may be familiar with the the Hebrew transliteration of this name. 
It's El Shaddai. It refers to God's active nature in His creation. It, it, it refers to a God that is not sitting upon a throne in heaven just watching. It refers to a God who is actively pursuing, that is actively involved in His creation. You see, we do not have a passive Creator who has just created everything and is sitting back enjoying the show. No, He is active in the affairs of His children. That's why He is a great protector. Because He's active. In the second verse, the psalmist refers to God in a more traditional Hebrew name called Elohim. Elohim means a strong and mighty leader. God is not one who is swayed by Satan, by humans, by sin, by the way of the world. No, He is a strong and mighty leader. The psalmist uses these names. I want you to understand he's using these names interchangeably to make a point. He wants to make a point about the quality. He wants to make a point about the character of his protector. I'm sure that there were people in the psalmist's day that trusted in protectors that were fakes, that were phonies. I'm sure that there were people in the psalmist's day who, who had little statues of, of gods that were protecting them, that could protect them. And, and I'm sure that there were people that said, follow me and do what I say and give money to me and, and I'll protect you. There were fakes in his day, just like there are today. Fakes who overpromise and underperform. You know, we are constantly bombarded with, with quick fix projects and programs that are nothing more than a ruse. But the psalmist points us to the quality and the character of God as one in whom we can trust. He alone is the most high, almighty God who promises his protection. The first key in understanding His protection is to understanding His character and the quality of His protection. The second key is this. is to understand that His protection is focused on your soul. God's protection and His promise of protection is focused on your soul, and your soul, and your soul, and my soul. That's the focus of his protection. Now as we work our way through Psalm 91, we're going to see that the psalmist uses physical security to illustrate spiritual security. The, the crux of this passage relates to God's promise to guard our souls rather than just our bodies. And so let me ask you a question, this one rhetorical, that I think will help us frame this key. There are 
we shall say two main aspects of the human being. The, the person. There is a physical aspect, our bodies. And there is a spiritual aspect. Most of us can't deny the physical. We can't deny what we see with our own eyes. But, but sometimes we lose sight of the reality that there is an unseen aspect of our lives, of every person's life. There is a physical aspect to the world in which we live. You know? You get it? Jump off the, the uh, front steps of the, of the front porch out here and you'll get that there's a physical aspect. But we, we miss sometimes, or, or because it's not right there in front of our faces, we miss the spiritual aspect in the world. So as humans, there is a physical aspect and there is a spiritual aspect. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Which aspect of your person is more important? Is it the physical or is it the spiritual? What's more important? Is it your body, your physical body? Or is it your soul? It's your soul, right? Everybody just sort of nod, yeah? You're with me. It's the soul, right? Sure it is. So why is it that the things that are unseen are more important than that which is seen? Why is it? Why is the spiritual which is unseen more important than the physical which is seen? It's because one is eternal and one is temporary. How many of you think you're going to live forever? Your bodies, your physical bodies, as you are. Nobody. Some of you think you got one foot in the grave already. <laughs> and, and, and some of you that think you got one foot in the grave already aren't even 50. One is physical and it's temporary. One is spiritual and it is eternal. Let me ask you this. With that in mind, what do you think is most important on God's agenda? Is it your physical well-being or your spiritual will be. It's spiritual. That's what God's most concerned about. He's most concerned about your soul. Naturally, though, when we think about God's protection, we focus on God protecting us from, from sickness and disease and pain and injury. But there's something that is far more greater importance to God than your physical body. It's your soul. Now please don't hear me say that God doesn't care about what happens to your physical body. That's not it. 
But because your body is only temporary, God is sometimes willing to allow you to suffer physically in order to protect your spiritual self. Let me say that again. Sometimes God's willing to allow you to suffer physically in order to help your soul. To help your spiritual life grow. To help you not destroy that most important aspect of your being. Listen to Romans chapter 5. And not only that, but Paul writes, We rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to who excuse me who was given to us. Now I don't I don't have time to totally unpack this passage, but we did a couple of weeks ago during our Wednesday night Bible study and the shocking part of what Paul writes the shocking part of what he writes to the Romans and to us is that affliction Suffering, pain, sorrow, trials, tribulation is not only a part of the Christian life, but how we handle all of those physical and emotional afflictions is either proof of our faith in God or proof that we don't have faith in God. So if you think that being a Christian means that you ask God to to keep you from ever suffering, and you think that's what God's job is, then, then I want to present to you His Word. And the reality that, that this passage in Romans 5 says completely otherwise. As a matter of fact, God uses affliction. He uses suffering in our physical bodies. To help us to determine whether our faith in Him is authentic or whether it's fake. It's proof. Now, I'll be honest with you, I I hate to hear that. I mean, I I don't want to say it much less think about it. Why? Because I don't like to suffer physically. I mean, who does? If somebody does, they probably need to be in in some some serious help. I mean, it's it's just... That's just part of being a human is is we try to avoid physical pain. But that gives us perspective on suffering and on God's promise of protection. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear. So so I want to recap where we've been. God is able... And willing to provide protection. The protection that he promises is focused on but not limited to our spiritual being, our soul. And physical suffering can but not always signal God's way of proving our faith in him. So I want us to look back at our focal passage and read it with those keys in mind. 
And then I want us to examine the last key to understanding the promise of his protection. So look back at our passage. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The third and final key to understanding the promise of his protection is this. God's protection depends on our trust. God's protection of you. And his promise of protection for you hinges upon your willingness to trust in him. We just reread the passage, but, but look closely with me at verse number 2. Verse number 2, I will say to the Lord, the psalmist is writing this, inspired, and he's communicating to God, and he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, those three statements, those are great. You know, when we, when we run into trouble, it's very easy for us to, to think about that, to, to cling to that that, that, that God is our refuge, that God is our fortress, that God is our God. But, but look at the last part. In whom I trust. The, the, the psalmist calls out to El Elyon. He, he can call out to El Shaddai. He can call out to Elohim for protection and provision only because he can honestly and truthfully state that God is the person that he trusts in. You see, he can only call out to his refuge, to his strength, because he trusts in God. This is where some real tough questions need to be asked of ourselves, of those of us who call out for the protection of God. For those of us that ask our, our friends and neighbors and church members to pray for us. That pray that God will deliver us from a, a whatever it may be. There's some real tough questions. The great theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon wrote this about Psalm 91. But what we say, we must prove by our actions. But what we say, we must prove by our actions. He goes on to write, we must fly to the Lord for shelter and not to the arms of flesh. The bird flies away to the thicket and the fox hastens to its hole. Every creature uses its refuge in the hour of danger. And then he goes on to encourage, even so in all peril or fear of peril, let us flee unto Jehovah, the eternal protector of his own. Where do you run 
in the face of trouble or fear of trouble? Is it to some vice of the world? Maybe a relationship or a secret sin? Do you seek solace in the Savior or in sipping alcohol or taking a pill? I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God's level of protection spiritually and physically is measured by our level of trust in Him. The psalmist will reiterate this truth over and over through Psalm 91. But as we begin this journey, I want every single one of us to get a real grip to get a real life grip on the fact that God's protection, God's protection depends on our willingness to let go of the world and the things of the world and trust Him fully and completely. I want you to look, and then we're finished. I want you to look at verse 1. I mean, I've read this passage several times, but, but I want you to see, I want you to see that the psalmist starts out with this great truth. It's the third key that, that, that we've looked at, but, but he starts out with this great truth. Look at it. The one, the person, the individual, the child of God, the Christian, the one who lives under the protection of of the Most High. So so he's laying out very clearly a person who is living under the protection of God, who's, who's one to whom God protects, one to whom God is their refuge, one to whom God is their strength. And he says, that one dwells or lives or communes with in the shadow of the Almighty. So the one who experiences great and grand protection from God is the one who never leaves God's side. I'm the third son in my family. I have two older brothers. I used to call them big brothers, but they're not big anymore. I'm big. But at one time, they were big, and I was small. And we would go to places, and I would get in trouble, picking on somebody probably a little too big for me. And you know the first thing I would do? As I could find my big brothers. Because my big brothers would take care of me. They might beat me to a pulp at home when I aggravated them. Y'all know what I'm getting at, right? But don't you mess with my little brother. I might knock him down and step on him and spit on him and whatever else. But nobody else does that, right? Well, one day, we were at this, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, a redneck water park. It was a lake out in the middle of nowhere. 
and they had a homemade water slide and some swings and you know a floating dock out there with a diving board on it and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know how old I was, probably probably twelve, too big for my own britches. And I, and I got around some boys that were a little older than me and, and laughed at them and made fun of them and picked at them, just like my brother laughed at me and made fun of me and picked at me. And uh, they got enough of them. This was back in those years when there was very little adult supervision in places like that. Y'all remember that, right? And they got a hold of me. And I couldn't run to my big brother's. I couldn't get to my refuge. And I got wolf. When I finally got to it and told them all about it, well, they were a little upset. But you know what my oldest brother said to me? He said, little buddy, we can't protect you when you get that far away. I think that's what the psalmist wants us to understand about God. If we want to experience the great power of His protection, if we want to experience the comfort and the security of Almighty God, we can't wander off away. We've got to commune with Him. We've got to constantly be dwelling with Him. Because if we play with the devil, then we've gotten too far away from our protection. You want to experience the promise of his protection? You gotta know God. And you gotta dwell with God. And you gotta commune with God. And you can't be venturing off. Venturing out of his shadow. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what it is that God may have placed upon your life as we've moved through this worship service. But today is an opportunity to quit chasing the world around and get back in the shadow of the Almighty. Today's an opportunity to repent and return to the refuge, to the source of your strength and of your protection. Maybe you need to come to this altar and, and just pray and repent and, and, and renew. Maybe you need to come and make Christ your Savior and Lord for the first time. Maybe you've never truly trusted in Him completely. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. I don't know what God is doing with His Word in your heart, but you do, and I want to call on you to respond. And let today be a new day. A day where you don't have to fear what men can do to your body. Because God has charge over your soul.
Fear is a huge aspect. It's a huge thing. And God has given us promises. But these promises come with expectation. So the question is today, what are you going to do in response? Maybe you're here and and you've been coming to Salem for a while and you realize this is the place God wants you to make a commitment to. Gina's going to come now and lead us in a a time of decision and whatever decision God has laid upon your heart, I want you to make that decision confidently. Knowing that it's God leading you and it's you following His will. Let's have a word of prayer and after we pray, we'll stand and sing and then you come as God leads. Father, thank You for Your Word and its truth, Lord. There's not a single one of us here today probably that can say we we trust you as much as we should. But God, today is a day we can move closer to the shadow of the Almighty. By your strength and by your spirit, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that you'd move in our hearts and move in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.